You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. If you work with plants, you know how important it is to get the soil right. In this episode, I interview Jake Hamilton, who farms legumes and grains in Queensland. His farms found success in making the land completely even, and he explains why this expensive plan worked so well and how other agriculturists and horticulturists can level their land as well. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me along. It's great to be here. So can you tell me a little bit about your farm, the size of the farm, and what you're typically growing? Yeah, so we are 50 k's west of Condamine on the western Darling Downs in southern Queensland. We are yeah, all crops here. We've got roughly 5,000 uh, 5, hectares of cultivation and we uh, grow mostly, mostly winter crops like wheat, barley, chickpeas. Faber beans is something we have grown from time to time over the last few years, but I think we might give them a miss next year. The novelty seems to have worn <laughs> off there. They've been difficult to grow. They're ugly to look at, hard to harvest. <laughs> Nobody seems to want to buy them. The market's up and down and up and down and down and then down further. And yeah, for, They say that they fix is it four times the amount of nitrogen in your soil than, than chickpeas do, but growing them side by side last year we didn't really notice a difference in the barley crop that followed so i'm starting to wonder if it's they're worth the trouble Mm. so they might be on the chopping block for next year Mm. and i'm sure our agronomist would love to have us growing some sorghum ed we'll get there soon enough i'm sure (laughs) so why is uneven land a problem in an agricultural setting Right. So the biggest issue that we have with managing our soils is their unevenness. We can handle dry years if we've stored enough soil moisture. And that's something that can be difficult to do with uneven soil because the water, well, we have a bit of a background on us. We're west of Condamine, Brigolo-Balar soil, which is grey, brown, self-mulching clays, and they're prone to, to melon holes which is short, sharp undulations of land, just little pockmarks across all of our fields, pretty much. And they are awful for holding water, even after relatively minor rainfall events. So even 60 mil of rain, which doesn't seem like an outrageous amount, it can still cause a lot of damage when water starts to pond in these holes and it can stay there for months. So are those problems typical of all soil types or is that just your self-mulching clays? There are self-mulching clays that naturally flat that aren't prone to these issues. It's just a, seems to be a feature of, well, I wouldn't say it's specific to the Western Downs, but it is endemic to the Western Downs. Everywhere around here has them, and we try and manage them the best we can. Right, okay. So are there any other problems associated with uneven land? Yeah, so erosion is a big one for us. The steeper our soil is the more prone we are to water erosion and wind erosion. So we, we've, been, we've been building contour banks to try and stop water flowing across the soil because they're just making big gullies and we can't really get any ameliorants down to, 
to sort of improve our soil because the water keeps taking it all away. Well, what we've been doing prior to levelling is just, yeah, hoping for the best, just planting, planting the paddock as if it were flat, trying to avoid any water that's there. In, in good years, when there's a decent amount of rainfall evenly spread over the growing season, you won't see too much of an issue. But in the dry years, the tops of the melon holes, they dry out faster than anything else and you only grow crop in the bottoms of the holes. And in the wet years, that's where all the water ponds. So you don't grow anything in the bottoms of the holes. Everything grows on top. So it's, mm. it's tough trying to catch those good years in between. So what we've been doing is we've started a program of, leveling out these holes to just to try and maximize the years when we can grow an even crop rather than trying to hit those good years in between. Mm. So I guess now we're going to be talking about the benefits of evening out the landscape. What are the benefits that it, this does as opposed to what you've been previously doing? So uneven land, when water falls on it, especially heavy rainfall, water doesn't just flow vertically through the soil. When there's a decent slope, water will infiltrate and then it'll hit soil layers and it'll start to move laterally. And what that does is it washes the organic carbon and any fertiliser and any goodness that you've got in the tops of in your topsoil and it washes them down into the bottoms of these melon holes and that is just by accumulation of all of your nutrients and because we farm in one of the driest habited continents in the world we've we've become pretty good at maximizing our water usage through practices like zero till and one of the downsides to that is because we're not turning over our soil anymore like we used to we getting stratification of our soil nutrients so when the crop grows plants their roots go down deep and they they pick up fertilizer and nutrients in the moist soil below and they bring it to the top and when the crop dies and the residue is left on top to rot that leaves all of those nutrients there on top and they're stratified in that top 10 centimeters so when that water washes that laterally through the ground back into the bottoms of those holes it just it leaves a scalping on top well that's what we call it it's a pretty severe term but it just leaves the tops bare bleached there's no organic carbon and there's no fertilizer no nutrients there whatsoever so it's hard to get anything to grow in these right so having it level just means that the the water doesn't run off into those pocks it basically just settles down like you would hope it would normally do in say like a backyard or something like that that's been well designed and well landscaped that's right it's all about controlling the way that the water behaves on the surface i mean Dry land farming, we can't control how much rain falls or when it falls. The only thing we can control is what we do with it once it's on the surface. And if, if we can landform our paddocks to be able to have the water flow the way we want at the speed we want, so water's infiltrating at an even, even rate and it's not causing any damage as it flows across the surface, that's, that's the ultimate goal. Right. So when we're doing this, can you walk us through the process of how someone would go about leveling out the soil, including some of the different tech options? So leveling should always start with surveying, and I cannot speak highly enough of a really good quality survey. You need to make sure you try and survey in a grid pattern that is as tight as possible, especially if you've got very undulating land. 
because if your grid grid points are too far apart, all of these software programs that you're using to design fields, they're sort of just guessing at what's in between Mm. all of these grid points. So the closer you can get them together, you get a better idea of of what's there and the software can can work more efficiently. And you'll end up saving money in the long run because you're going to end up shifting less dirt. Right. So that's definitely a good starting point. There are several options for surveying. You can survey with a rover um, with an RTK receiver on the top of it. That's a very basic, basic way of doing it. That's just driving a grid pattern and it's just putting a point on the surface every five or 10 meters, create a grid. And at the very high end, there's LIDAR surveying from a fixed wing aircraft, which can be quite expensive. But in the long run, it is by far the most accurate of all of the surveying techniques. You can you can fly a whole property. We did 5,900 hectares ourselves and the LIDAR survey goes through all of the timber, which where a buggy can't go. And you can screw that survey grid down to half a metre. So you have a really excellent idea of, of your soil surface. Right. So can you walk me through, maybe some of our listeners might be thinking, so why would you splash out on the planes as opposed to just having the rover? Can you explain like what are the actual benefits of yeah, splashing out on the planes? So when you when you've finished your survey and then you upload your survey into your land leveling software, if it's just guessing at what is in between all of your survey points, you're going to end up with with an uneven design really because there's going to be areas where there's more dirt than the program Mm -hmm. thinks there is and areas where there's not enough dirt to fill holes, which means you've got to spend more time and money in the long run shifting shifting soil from further away than it probably needs to be. So to give you an idea of how severe some of our holes are, we can go from the high point of a melon hole to the low point, and that's four metres vertical distance in the space of about 10 metres horizontal distance. So if you're running a 10 or 20 metre grid and you've got a survey point on either side of that hill, any any software is going to think that's a straight line in between and it's going to miss a big pile of dirt there Mm. and you're going to be left with (laughs) a big pile of dirt you've got to find a hole for right at the end. (laughs) Yeah, you really shouldn't. I see. So when you say melon hole, is that sort of like you've got a melon scoop and you take a hole out of the soil? Yeah, that's actually an excellent way of describing it. I don't know why I've never heard that before. <laughs> right, cool. Yeah, yeah, just it just little dams across across the paddock. And they can be yeah, they can only be a couple of feet deep or like I said before, a couple of meters deep and only a few meters wide. They're yeah, they're certainly not big. They're just they're very rough. Mm. So is there a particular program that you recommend for this? So when we first started doing it way back in the day, we were using Trimble Multiplane, which was a very, very simple, simple software. It was just you were manually creating multiple flat planes based off certain hinge points. And we, we did a trial with that back in 2008 and we found... 10 years on, we did get some subsidence in the holes that we filled in because we were just creating a flat flat plane and where we were cutting was nice and hard and where we were filling it was nice and soft and 
the sword did actually settle. Whereas nowadays the programs that we're using, they create a piecewise continuous surface. So it's not like billiard table flat. They're trying to take in the overall lay of the land as best they can to try and minimise the amount of dirt that you're moving. And they can build in a cut fill ratio. So to explain that, it's so we, we set ours at 130%. So we're cutting 30% more than we're filling. Hmm. So we're leaving room for, we're putting more dirt in the hole. So we're leaving room for them to settle. So by the time that they do settle, they should be, they should be nice and even. So they actually become more even over time. Right. And having the inverse problem, as in having sort of um, the bubble on top rather than the indent, is that more preferable to having the indents? It is because if you have it like that, then once you're done, you're done. You walk away from it and hopefully if you've mm. got your cut fill ratio right, it'll, it'll settle to where it needs to be rather than having to go back sort of a decade later and, and disturb all of your soiling and dig up all of your stubble, which is, which is like gold in a dry climate. Mm. And it's good to leave it there. So it is, it's definitely preferable to get it right, right the first time. You don't have to be going back and rebrushing five or ten years later. Mm. So I guess this is obviously a significant investment for anybody, but who would not get a return on their investment for this? It depends on how you go about it. I don't think there's anyone who probably wouldn't get a return out of it in some way, some way or another. It depends on how you approach it. So if you go to the probably the far end is what we're doing. We have outfitted a D11R Caterpillar bulldozer with GPS software to to really push a lot of dirt in a hurry and that in itself was was quite an investment and the the GPS gear that that goes into that's also huge investment and you'd probably only look at doing that if you had a very large area it all comes back to economies of scale so if you're having to outlay all of this money for a very expensive machine and the transport costs associated with moving it to your job. If you're doing a small area, that's going to sort of blow out to a lot of money per hectare. So mm-hmm. if yeah, if you're if you're doing it over a bigger area, you can sort of sort of justify that. But there's certainly other ways of of doing it with um, smaller machines, tractors, buckets that are going to be more cost effective over a smaller area. So for people who are going to decide to do this, I'm guessing that you're going to recommend that they get some professional help, not just try and go it alone, or would I be wrong? Certainly don't go into it blind because you will, like I did, you'll learn everything that you're doing (laughs) wrong very quickly. I like to think that I have a fair bit of experience in doing it now, and I think I'm only just starting to get it right, and I've been doing it for 10 years. Hmm. So... There is there's one paddock that I like to call the paddock where all my mistakes were made <laughs> and I hate going anywhere near it because it is still rough as hell. <laughs> but it's it's good to see that. So definitely just seek out some even if you don't want to pay someone to do your designs for you, just make sure that you get yeah, some good some good advice because a, even the best machine following a bad design is gonna end up doing a bad job. And it's going to cost more money in the long run if you've got to come back and do it all again. The most expensive job is the one you've got to do twice. Exactly. So I guess you're probably glad that you started on a smaller patch. Yeah, yeah, we did. It's definitely something that we worked into over time. We started, we started with a small trial with a laser bucket 
Uh, we only did 40 hectares because we know we've got some pretty severe subsoil constraints here. We have a very high exchangeable sodium percentage and legumes like chickpeas, faba beans, mung beans, they, they just refuse to grow in those kind of conditions. Wheat and barley, they tolerate it a lot better, but even if it gets too high, nothing, nothing really grows. So we, we made sure that we did a, a fair amount of soil testing before we even started because we wanted to know what we were potentially going to dig up over the course of, of this job. And I think that's, a, that's another thing that people should definitely consider before they go and, go and start moving dirt. What's, what's underneath? Because we're, in some areas, we're cutting as much as 600 mil off the top, and that's really cutting into your subsoil. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So are there any crops that you've just still are not able to do even with this level soil? So we still plant legumes in these paddocks purely because for our rotation, it's necessary. They're, they're a good disease break. They're good nutrition for following cereal crops, even, even if they don't grow in some of the more scalped areas. The way I look at it is if we were to leave these paddocks as rough and melancholy as they were, the legumes, they're not going to grow on the tops of the melon holes anyway because they're naturally scalped from all of this lateral flow and bleaching that we were talking about earlier. Hmm. And the big machines that we're using now, headers, header fronts are 12 metres wide now and some of our melon holes are, are half that size and we just can't get down in there to get them. So I suppose the way I look at it is if there are still melon holes there, we still would be probably growing a similar crop but it's a lot easier to plant, harvest, spray, all all that. We don't have any any livestock where um yeah crop farmers here. We sold the last of our cattle in two thousand and five, and I haven't had to shut a gate since. It's been fantastic. <laughs> so, what about for someone who had livestock? Would you say that that it would be worth it for them? That is an interesting question. I have a neighbour next door who has very similar soil type very similar country black soil melon holes and he he seems to like having those melon holes full of water in wet times because when it's wet there's a lot of green grass a lot of flies Uh, he gets a lot of three-day sickness around in his cattle and generally they can survive going down with this virus if they've got a ready access to water so having these melon holes pockmarked all over all over the field there's there's water everywhere so a beast is is more likely to go down next to a puddle and it's it's likely to survive if it's got that water source so Hmm. i was talking to him about he'd be able to do a beautiful job of leveling some of these these paddocks and he said no no leave it just how it is (laughs) so that was that's a different take on on yeah possibly the plus side of of having a few holes so can you tell me about any studies that have been done on leveling soil for crops? So pretty much the go-to is the GRDC. They're doing everything in this field that you could probably probably ever want to know. They're really heavily looking into ameliorating subsoil constraints, which is something that's very necessary for what we're doing because we're by moving dirt we're bringing our subsoil closer to the surface so that's becoming more of an issue so i'm definitely keeping a keen eye on that we have been doing some of our own ameliorate work to variable rate spread gypsum to try and repair some of these these scalped areas and to to counteract that exchangeable sodium 
but it's it's yeah it's tough it's all it's all very very new but i'm sure as time goes on more people are getting into into landforming for for cropping and this will will definitely come to the fore so is there anything else that you reckon that let's just let's just say imagine someone who's just heard this and they're like oh i absolutely have to do this what else would you say to somebody like that something i probably should have tried to squeeze in earlier or maybe it's with its own question the difference between laser buckets versus bulldozers we started leveling our melon holes with laser buckets because that was really all it was all it was available at the time and the trouble with that is the way they work is they can only carry so much before they're full and then you've got to go and find a hole to put them in. So the technique that you use there is, is you're just trimming individual layers, probably only 20 or 30 mil off the tops of each hole and then going and burying them in the bottom of another one. And the trouble with doing that is you are just peeling off all of those stratified nutrients that we talked about earlier. And that's probably some of the worst, worst scalping that you can that you can do to your country you're leaving it absolutely bare it's just bare clay by the time you're finished so we saw that was taking a long time to recover that method is and that's why we went to a bulldozer so what we're doing there is we're just starting 100 mil below where we intend the surface to finish and we're just using this blunt instrument to just push through and any excess dirt is spilling out either side of of the blade of the dozer and what we're hoping to achieve there is that rolling effect that happens when this soil spills out it's actually blending the subsoil with the topsoil so we're getting a good blend of our stratified nutrients with the subsoil so we're hoping to keep some of that on top rather than just burying it all in the bottom of a hole and we're we're finding that our country is recovering a lot faster we can get back to to where we expected to be in two years rather than six or seven. Yeah, if you're in a if you're in a position to, to do that, that's that's probably a decent return on your investment because we're finding we're finding with the dozer versus the laser bucket, we're actually finishing the job twice as fast. We're using fifty percent more diesel, yes, but we're getting the job done in half the time so there's actually a net gain there mm-hmm. so that's yeah we're spending less spending less on fuel and operator time and machine time and maintenance to to achieve a better end result yeah so on a paddock the sub well on a property the size of yours it's a no-brainer yeah i suppose you probably don't have to go for a bit the bulldozer the size that we did we we actually went halves in it with another family who farms around here the bidstrip family and it's been doing work over there as well so it's it's actually yeah it's done a, a fairly large large area and don't get me wrong there's still there's still a lot to do we're going to be at this for at least the next decade yeah so for for us it was really really worth the investment but they do certainly make smaller bulldozers which are yeah not going to be as much of an outlay and we'll still might take a little bit longer, but in smaller paddocks, you, yeah, that's probably, you're probably going to end up doing mm. doing them in the same time, same time frame. So then, I take it after you've done that initial tillage, would you just then leave it 
just to sit without tilling? Yeah, so then we'd, we'd give it a nice good rip to make sure it's left a rough surface because there is still some slope there and we spread cow manure 10 tonnes to the hectare from the local feedlot to give our topsoil a really good boost and then, yeah, we just leave it and plant the next crop into it when it's ready and it will go back to our go back to our zero-till zero system mm. from there. Yeah, just and as you were saying, you're sort of leaving the stubble on top, which we've sort of talked about in another episode. Episode 29, Sustainability and Regeneration in Aussie Agriculture with Michael Guerin from AgForce, where we sort of had a talk about stubble and no-till and a few of those other yeah, tactics and techniques that Aussie farmers are using to preserve their most precious resource. Yeah, so I really enjoyed that one. It's, it, it is so important. Like I, um, like I said before, we're, we're living and, and farming on, well, apart from Antarctica, Australia is the driest continent in the world. <laughs> and the fact that we grow, the food that we grow here is, is a testament to the Aussie farmers and their ingenuity. I mean, this zero-till thing, they started 40 years ago and it is still it's still improving mm-hmm. and i think yeah this landforming and leveling is is the next logical step because we we only 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 thing we have left is to is to keep improving our soils and pouring more into them and if if they keep moving on us running downhill or running down into the bottoms of holes there's not really much we can do i mean we have we have looked at ameliorating some of the the scalping issues that ha- occur naturally in in uneven soils, but you can go and pour all the ameliorants you want onto these scalped areas, and the next time you get a big gully rake of, of rain, it just washes it all back down into the bottom of the hole. So you're just adding more more to the bottom. So the really the the only thing you can do is is level it out first. That's your only only chance at at fixing some of these issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if we're looking at zero till as the optimal sort of practice, let's get it right now before the climate change effects really, you know, we're sort of starting to see the worst of those so we can get some accumulation going. Yeah, that's right. So we are getting long, long dry spells in between bloody big wets. I really feel for all of the everyone down in New South Wales, it just won't bloody stop raining down there and there in the middle of harvest and that's that's what it was like for us here in 2011 it started raining in september and it didn't really stop until january we usually have all of our crops off by sort of end of october mid november we were still harvesting in january and all of these these holes that we were talking about they were just full of water we Mm. lost so much crop a lot of it we just had to walk away from and they stayed full for another six months, even planting the following crop in in 2012 was an absolute nightmare. We were ducking and weaving in around all of these holes full of water, bogging tractors and bins and trucks left, right and centre. It's it's amazing the difference that levelling out this country makes. We we had a, a decent, well, our wettest November on in a decade this year and within a week we were back on spraying and yeah, we had no trouble accessing these paddocks, which once were melon holes, and we wouldn't be able to go anywhere near for months. Hmm. So, Jake, I always like to ask our guests one last question, and it's pretty much basically a place to plug. Is there anything else that you'd like the listeners to know about? A shameless free plug. 
Yes. Right. <laughs> well, I think Stu would never forgive me if I didn't plug the software that I use uh, religiously now, Terra, design based out of out of Toowoomba. We've we've worked together for the last few years. I just walked into his office off the street. He wouldn't know me if he tripped over me and now we've become quite friendly working together to to build the contour banks that we have because as far as anyone can tell they've they've never really been done before we're all about about chasing efficiency and and trying to save a few dollars where we can we've got a lot of fairly slopey country that is prone to gully erosion so we've been we've been building contour banks and we've been doing a bit a bit differently so because water accumulates as it flows downhill, the amount of water sitting in the bottom of your channel is going to get bigger and bigger as you go. So I didn't, I didn't think it was necessary to to build these contour banks just a uniform size the whole way along. When right up the top, they're not really catching any water, and down the bottom, they're going to be chock a block full. So we've started building them on a, a graded scale. They start very small, and then they they gradually get bigger as they go along, and him and his team in Toowoomba, they've made my life a hell of a lot easier by upgrading their tools to to accommodate what we're trying to do. Yeah. So something that would have taken me weeks is now his, his program does it for me in 15 minutes. Wow. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much for a great episode, Jake. I really appreciate you coming on the show, mate. Cool. No, it was really, really great. Thanks for having me along, Daniel. I yeah, could talk about dirt all day, really. So this has been fun. We might have to have another chat sometime, maybe next year. Whether you're on a massive farm like Jake or you're landscaping an urban yard, terraforming practices such as levelling out the land can control where your water goes after it lands. Of course, there's quite a lot to soil science, and if you're new to the Plants Grow Here podcast, I'd encourage you to follow and subscribe so that you can catch our weekly episodes. We do love to talk about soil here. Check out episode 2, Intro to Soil Science, episode 40, Soil Carbon, and episode 77, Soil Challenges and Solutions at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. 